let's look in our Bibles at Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is a beautiful, it's a familiar psalm. I had no intention of ever preaching on Psalm 23. Not because I don't love it, but because it's so expected, it's so loved, it's such well-worn territory for some of us that I just had no intention of doing it until we said it in our scripture reading last week and it struck me between the eyes once again and I was reminded why I make my kids memorize Psalm 23. It's a beautiful, beautiful psalm. I'm going to read it for us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray together. Wow. Lord, if half of this is true, if we know the half of your majesty and your tenderness towards those who believe you have the words of life, to whom else can we go? You are our shepherd, we shall not want. Let us sit at your feet this morning and see you as such. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about King David's rise to power in 2 Samuel. We said that he went from a shepherd watching a flock in a field all the way to becoming king of Israel, and God promised him a forever kingdom. And David, as he's king, he writes psalms, but this one is particularly striking because David himself, the shepherd king, is now writing about his shepherd king, God himself. The whole of this psalm is just utterly Godward. It is utterly infatuated with God. It begins with the divine name. Anytime we see the Lord capitalized, that's Yahweh, the name God gave Israel through his servant Moses, the divine name. He makes me lie down. He leads. He restores. He guides for his name's sake. It is all and wholly about God. Christianity is not a shopping mall where you got to go one place for slacks and another place for cologne, and a third place for a Cinnabon. I mean, the whole thing is found completely and utterly in God alone as the one source of all welfare and being. He is our every provision. Snaps our attention to look away from ourselves and to God because it is wholly Godward. But even as it's holy Godward, it's also deeply personal. David is crying out, not the Lord is a shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. Not the Lord has shepherd-like qualities, or the Lord is a shepherd at large, or the Lord keeps shepherding office hours on weekdays open to the public. The Lord is my shepherd. I feel him as my shepherd. He makes me lie down. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. 
And, and when you see these two things woven together, like a holy Godward psalm that is deeply and utterly personal to me, together it shows us, as a believer, what a healthy, vibrant, joyful, intimate, experiential, daily, hourly relationship with God can really look like. I want us to all do something in the next 20 minutes. Whether you say that you're a Christian or not a Christian, or you've been walking with Jesus for a long time or a short time, what if we held this psalm up against our own experience of faith and we asked ourselves, am I tasting the real thing? Is this what I have? Is this what I experience in God? Am I, am I seeing him in this way in my life as my shepherd or have I settled for an inferior version of faith? Psalm 103 pleads, forget not all his benefits. Do I even know all his benefits? Am I even availing myself to all his benefits? What is the version that I've been carrying around? And how can it be infused with a vision of God that we find in Psalm 23? So let's get into it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If that's true, game over. David is not saying the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not need anything because we know from the analogy that sheep have tons of needs. They've got tons of needs. I'm not familiar with raising sheep, but I am familiar with raising a flock of kids. I've got four of them. And if sheep are like growing children, then they wake up hungry and they go to bed hungry and they're hungry immediately after dinner when they don't finish everything on their plate. And spiritual sheep are going to need pastures and waters and restoration and righteousness and comfort and protection and more. They have got a bunch of needs and a bunch of desires. So we're not saying the Lord is my shepherd. I can't think of anything I want or need. We're saying I shall not want means I go to the Lord first. I find everything I need in him. It's like saying with Psalm 16 to You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I can't think of a single thing that I need or even that I want that I would find apart from you and outside of communion with you when I'm in you and I'm receiving from your hand. I have absolutely everything I need. I can't think of one good thing that I lack in you. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet water. We actually begin with physical needs. I know in some circles we think that's very unspiritual to be concerned about our daily bread, but actually the psalmist invites us there first. Come and see that God provides. He actually cares that you and I have enough to eat today. And he cares that we're going to be clothed and have a shelter and have safety. He cares that we get a good job and find fulfillment in it. He cares that we have a family and love and that we grow up together in a community with each other. I've told you guys that I pray the Lord's Prayer every morning on my way to work. That's just a simple way to turn my mind towards God, memorize it, pray it. And I'm always struck by the daily bread line because it comes across as really rude to me. I wouldn't pray that way unless Jesus said, I want you to pray this way. Give us this day our daily bread. No sir, no please, no southernisms, nothing. Just 
Give us our, this day our daily bread. Man, if one of my kids got out of bed and said that to my wife, he would be doing push-ups so fast. I mean, you wouldn't believe it. Give me bread. But there's this like desperation and expectation. Lord, if, if I don't get bread from you, I have nowhere else to get it. You are the one that feeds me. If you don't bring green pastures and still waters, I will not see tomorrow. Everything I have is from your hand. You're the one that feeds me. Verse 3, there's a world in this little line. He restores my soul. So he's giving me these physical needs. He's providing in every way for me physically. And then he goes to work on me. And spiritually and emotionally, he restores my soul. If you notice in David's Psalms especially, how many times he references the needs of his soul and his spirit and how often God meets him in them. That God would revive my soul, that he would redeem my soul, that he would renew a right and a willing spirit within me, that he would restore unto me the joy of my salvation. David's asking for this because David needs this so much. Now we're going to see in a minute that We aren't always in seasons like this, that there will come times of hardship and heartache and anxiety and depression and doubts and fears. But don't let the devil fool you that those are the only seasons for a believer. Every genuinely born again believer should know something about what a restored and happy soul feels like. Can I say that again? If you are genuinely born again, if Jesus has really claimed you as his own, then you know something. You have tasted something. Your heart has felt something about a soul that is restored and happy in God. That's kind of what we look for in the South when we're talking testimonies one with another. I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I go to church, so do I. If you describe your Christian life as a baptism followed by sporadic church attendance and some prayer before meals, I wonder if you really know what we're talking about here. I wonder if that version of what you're thinking about matches what we're talking about here, a soul that is filled to the brim with God. Do you have that? Do you know that? Do you know that God loves to restore and refresh souls? Do you know that he loves to give a soul a spring in its step? That's what he does. He loves to bring vibrancy to our worship. He loves by his spirit in us to make us want to look back to him morning, noon, and night. He longs for us to be happy in him. I tell you, do not settle for a half full soul. Don't settle for that. Life is way too short to be walking around with a soul that is half empty. Bring it to the fountain and be filled again because that's what God loves to do. Verse 3, as if all that weren't enough. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now I want us to tuck that away for our theology of sanctification. 
our theology of how God is going to take us from our conversion to glory and where he is in that. Because I think most of us fall into the trap, myself chief among us, of thinking that God saves us and then he kind of sets us out on the playing field and he's on the sidelines watching what we're going to do and his arms are crossed and he's frowning and he is utterly disappointed in how often we fall off the path of righteousness. He's like that obnoxious t-ball dad (laughs) that is screaming, get your head in the game to his four and a half year old. Psalm 23 doesn't see God on the sidelines of sanctification. He sees God intimately involved in daily decisions to follow him. This is what he does. He he grabs me by the arm and he says, come with me. We're going to do it this way. Your heart wants to go right. Your flesh wants to go right. But we're going to go left here. And and then when you're going left, I want to pull you back this way. And we're going to go this way. I'm with you. I'm shepherding you daily in your decisions for righteousness. I don't even have good thoughts, good words, good deeds, good aspirations. Were it not for the shepherd by my side saying, we're going to go this way now. And we're going to go this way now. And I've prepared good works for you to walk in. And then I'm going to take you by the hand. And we're going to walk in those same works. He guides us in paths of righteousness. Could we just pause here with those three verses? The first three verses of Psalm 23 are worth the weight of the Bible themselves. Could these verses thaw a complacent heart and warm our affections for God. He's lovely. He's lovable. Would it not inspire in us just a fresh, sweet connection between us and our God? You've got this buffet before you. What do you come this morning that you could possibly need? Whether you're a believer or you're an unbeliever checking this out, what do you need? Are you hungry this morning? Come to God hungry and he's going to feed you. Is your soul downcast within you? Is it apathetic or cynical or depressed? Then come to God half full and he will be the one to fill you up. Are you besieged by sin? Is it crouching at the door and its desire is to master you? Come to God struggling and he will guide you in paths of righteousness. Day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, the normal experience of every Christian life is to learn the dance of coming to God without, coming to God empty-handed and receiving in him and him alone the fullness that we need to put one more foot in front of the other in communion with him. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, I wish I could stay there. I wish we could just have the first half of Psalm 23. But all of a sudden, the psalm takes this abrupt turn without warning. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's like, whoa, hang on, time out. 
I, I was just warming up to this idea of God who leads me along still waters and green pastures, that he cares about me, that he protects me, that he's for me, that he's going to provide for me. I was just warming up to this kind of God. And now all of a sudden in the back half of the psalm, I'm staring at words like death and evil and enemies, and I don't like that. That doesn't jive with my idea of God as my shepherd. God as shepherd is not, never has been, never will be this side of heaven. God as shepherd is not the absence of want or need or trouble or sin or hardship or death or enemies. It was never intended to be that. God as shepherd is his very presence in the middle of, of all of these things. The line that stands at the center of Psalm 23, and especially if you saw it laid out in Hebrew, you could spot it because our eyes are drawn to what is supposed to be the focal point, is verse 4b that reads, For you are with me. You are as with me in the green pastures as you are with me in the valley of the shadow of death. I want to hang on to that phrase, coin a term, the with-me-ness of God, okay? For you are with me. There's a bunch of hyphens in there, with, hyphen, me, hyphen, nest, the, the with-me-ness of God, his presence, his union with me, his adoption of me, his nearness to me. We need to understand that the with-me-ness of God is never presumed on in the Bible. It is a hard earned victory in Christ. It's not a coincidence that Psalm 22 comes before Psalm 23. Both of those David wrote. Both of those were prayers that he prayed. But Psalm 22 could not be more different than Psalm 23. If you look back uh, one Psalm before in 22, I'm going to read the first verse. Tell me if this sounds familiar. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You recognize those words, right? Those are Jesus' words on the cross. He goes on in verse 14, I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. You lay me in the dust of death for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. That's Jesus' song. Jesus took David's thousand-year-old prayer and prayed it on the cross. God is not with us outside of Jesus. God is not for us outside of Jesus. God is not waiting on standby so that we could snub him with our lives, but then run to him when we're in a bind and he's going to help us. He is not for us outside of Jesus. Our entire culture presumes on the nearness of God. He can be anything you want him to be, and if you imagine him near to you and that's going to work for you, then he will be near to you, and he'll satisfy every need that you have that you could come to him with. The Old Testament has never once given us a hint that we could share that view with our culture. God is not near outside of Christ, 
In fact, the Bible says we're objects of God's wrath destined for his punishment. He promises in his Bible that outside of Christ, he will indeed forsake us. You might even reach for him and he will forsake you outside of Jesus. The withmeness of God is not presumed. It is God's move towards us. This is what Jesus is doing when he prays this on the cross. He is experiencing the forsakenness of God because he's taking on himself our sin, our rebellion, that if we receive him by faith, he takes God's penalty so that the forsakenness that we deserve in sin is now placed on Jesus. And the why have you forsaken me of Psalm 22 becomes the you are with me of Psalm 23. That is a tremendous gospel movement. And if the shepherd redeems us at the cost of his son, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? In our troubles, in the valley, with our enemies, he gives us his presence and his rod and his staff and his set table and his anointing oil. Everything is ours because Christ is ours and Christ is God's and we are in him. The withmeness of God is achieved in his son. You are with me. I want to close with this because God has more in mind than verses one through three, and more in mind than even um, getting us out of trouble when we're in a bind. He goes ahead and begins to cap this thing off with a verse like verse six. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's a beautiful verse, but I don't even like that translation because the word follow is a little empty to me. That word, that Hebrew word, it's all over the Old Testament. It shows up 143 times. And it's almost always translated vehemently and violently, like to pursue or to persecute. So that word shows up in Genesis when Lot is captured and taken away. And then Abraham grabs all the armed men in his household. And the Bible doesn't say, and then he followed after his nephew, The Bible says he chased after them. He pursued them. They packed light bags and they followed that band until they could defeat them. The same word is in Exodus. When the people of Israel leave the land of slavery and Pharaoh sees what he's done and he says, gather my chariots and my armies, I'm going to not follow after them into the wilderness. I'm going to chase them. I want to do them harm. I'm going to pursue them as fast as I possibly can. This is God's shepherd heart in the gospel. To save us, to redeem us, and then to send goodness and mercy tearing off after us to pursue us all the days of our life so that there is not a moment, whether you're in a green pasture or in the valley of the shadow of death, that you as a believer can't look back over your shoulder and see goodness and mercy and the kindness of God nipping at your heels and pursuing you all the days of this life, this mortal life that we have until that great and glorious day when we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray together.
Lord Jesus, send that goodness and mercy. Send it tearing off after us. And give us spiritual eyes to see that you and the gospel are for us and with us and near to us. And you have grand and glorious, loving, kind plans for us in Christ. Do that, we ask in Jesus' name.